Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy and along with Hamish Bidwell, welcome to uh, another weekly podcast from RNZ. This week it's Rugby World Cup again, where the All Blacks uh, didn't do a lot and we probably didn't learn a lot from their performance against Canada. We're unlikely to learn too much either from this weekend's game against Namibia. We're joined by uh, Pacific Sports reporter Vinnie Wiley, who has been covering the Pacific Island teams uh, competing at the World Cup, and also Wellington Pride hooker Alice Soper. Welcome along, everyone. Firstly, Vinnie, uh, just uh, your thoughts on how the Pacific Island teams have uh, started this World Cup, I suppose, apart from uh, Fiji's win last night, then it hasn't, hasn't been too encouraging? No, it's. Uh, I guess... There's... There was a lot of optimism, especially in Fiji going into the tournament. And, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, a, a case of maybe what could have been or a, a bit of frustration. Uh, Fiji, of course, uh, played well against Georgia, but that, that match against Uruguay, it's uh, it's the one that could possibly end up haunting them, really. Uh, you know, there, there was real hope that they could beat Australia first up. But certainly, you know, before before any of those big-tier one sides got a moment, got any momentum, um, and then even if they didn't, the idea was you win the other two and then you get to that final match against Wales and it's effectively a knockout match in itself and, you know, at least give themselves a chance. But, you know, the Uruguay defeat really just killed any momentum. It was completely out of the blue. It was the team that they beat by 61 points, I think, back in November. So it was completely um, unexpected. Uh, they obviously changed most of their lineup for the game and, uh, obviously, that affected them, even though they dominated the game statistically. They just couldn't execute, and they were a lot better in that regard against Georgia. So they've still got a chance, but, uh, yeah, not quite. And the teams might have been hopeful, Vinny, of doing well at the tournament. What were your expectations for them? Did you think they had realistic chances of getting out of their groups? Uh, I, I think Tonga were clearly in an incredibly difficult group. The, the so-called pool of death, uh, France, Argentina, and England uh, – not quite in that order, but, you know, three Tier 1 countries back to back to back, and that came immediately after that match against the All Blacks where they got absolutely pummeled. So uh, that, that was always going to be a tough ask, and they, they are quite limited on attack. Uh, Tonga, they, they showed it against England, I think, defensively. They weren't too bad, but whenever they got the ball, they just couldn't penetrate. They couldn't do anything. Uh, they were better um, against Argentina, but when you go 28-0 down after less than half an hour, you're always going to be, um, you know, uh, in a bit of trouble. Samoa, I think, very even group, but uh, Japan, of course, as the host nation, um, who have beaten them the last couple of times they've played, uh, and obviously Ireland, um, you know, Scotland, it was always going to be tricky. Uh, Fiji were absolutely the hope that everyone thought if it was going to be someone, it would be them. They beat France last year. Uh, they've got some world-class players in their lineup, but um, yeah, that that Uruguay game again, absolute killer, really. Do you think, Vinny, that? Uh because these nations don't play a lot of international rugby, that they come to a big tournament like this and, you know, they get a bit of a case of the yips in a way and uh, they've got to perform on the world stage and, you know, the psychologically it's having an effect on them? 
Uh, I don't know about the yips. I think absolutely all of the teams do talk about um, more more rugby and more top level rugby. I think um, you know Tonga have been together for a couple of months now, which they've really relished. And and to be honest, uh, with that length of time together, you'd think they would have hopefully performed a bit better than they have. But uh, sometimes it's not just time together. Like in, in in a World Cup year, yes, it's great, but the difference that Toto Kefu, their coach, said is that. You know the All Blacks, etc., etc. They they get that time together every year. So whilst it's great to have six, seven, eight Test matches in a row in 2019, what they want is those matches in 2018, 17. So even though they might make some progress this year, um, it, it's that consistency year to year of of having those top level matches and that time together that they don't get yet. So things are always better in a World Cup year. But as you say, that's kind of when the pressure's on. That's when they can't really afford to slip up. So. Uh, um, you know, if World Rugby can, can and maybe get the more Tier One Test matches on a regular basis, then um, then maybe things might improve. If you look at Japan, as the contrast to that, so having the presence in the Super co- uh, Rugby comp, so having the Sun Wolves team in there, you're seeing that pay off in terms of you know quality players that have been able to get some time together, being able to get, play against the big boys, lose the fear of the Tier One nations, you know, getting to have that regular game time together. And I think it's a, you know, I'm I'm upset that the Sun Wolves aren't going to be able to stick around because I think you can see the payoff that that uh, side has had for this World Cup, being able to have regular players, building a fan base as well, also good leading up into there would still love to see a Pacifica team in our Super Rugby competition. Sure, but forgive me, Fiji are coached by New Zealanders, mm-hmm. I mean Japan are coached by New Zealanders and there's I think 14 non-Japanese players mm-hmm. in their squad like, these things are an advantage clearly as well as playing with a Super Footy Yeah, but I think you've got, you know, there's at least a pathway there, right? Sure. You know, there's, there's somewhere to try and uh, have something to aim for and yeah, when you're setting up something new, you're probably going to have a few ring-ins but then you can, if you once you've got it, something to aim for, you start to build that pathway, there's somewhere for a talent, local talent to go. And you have seen as well players that have been maybe playing in uh, New Zealand Super Rugby teams for a while who have now turned up playing back for Japan. Um, so, you know, Jamie Joseph's t- taken a couple of his Highlander boys back in that squad, and that was exciting to see. Um, but I think Fiji, it's, I think about that first game against Australia, and I'm still heartbroken that they were that hard by, done by by missing that card on the field at a point of momentum, taking out a, a very crucial part of their attacking game, and, and it all kind of went downhill from there. And so I just can't help but keep thinking about what that would have been for their tournament had they been able to knock over Australia earlier. And Japan, as you mentioned, with the with the whole interest in the game, and the World Cup being over, and the Sunwolves about to leave, that, mm. that, the whole thing could just take a dive mm. in Japan uh, and the interest and perhaps then the performance on the field is going to suffer. There was the, you know, there's the Pacific uh, Nations Cup, mm. which which is very, very good. But I mean, that obviously had to be extended as well so that the uh, at least the Pacific Island nations are getting double that amount of games and then doing the end of year November tours in that, in that as well. So... Uh, you know, World Rugby say they're going to address it and, and that sort of thing, but who knows? Yeah, um, Vinny, we've talked a lot here about how the Pacific Nations are disadvantaged and we've talked about eligibility and all the Mickey Mouse rules that exist so that guys can play for Scotland or Ireland when they have not a Scottish or Irish bone in their body, but you know, a New Zealander with, with Samoan heritage can't play for them down the track, that sort of thing. But one uh, thing that's emerged this week in terms of the commentary on the games has been um, the idea that there's a bias in the judiciary, um, that there's referees are, are perhaps have a, a subconscious, almost racist view of, of the island teams and how hard they hit players. And there's been um, parallels drawn between Piers Francis's tackle 
England against USA and um, the Samu Karevi uh, penalty that was awarded when he took the ball into contact against Rhys Patchell against Wales. Um, do you have a view on that? And, and is there a view within the Pacific sides that they are disadvantaged, put upon, that kind of stuff? I, I know with the Samoan squad over here at the World Cup, they were incredibly frustrated um, I, I, they didn't cite racism or anything, but 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 their their frustration at this tournament was that their two players got banned, Ray Lilo and Motu Matu, and they felt other decisions across the World Cup, such as Piers Francis, uh, such as uh, a couple of other incidents, were you know just as bad, if not worse. But but the punishment wasn't any worse, and there were some tackles that. You know, we talked about that one, uh, Alistair, in, in the first Fiji game where on field they didn't uh, see the tackle from Reese Hodge um, and, and how that influenced them. So how, how, basically just the consistency is their frustration that they felt they were getting uh, snapped every time something happened in their game, every time they may have done something uh, wrong and then the players got banned quite heavily. Um, but, but then the flip side was other teams weren't having that same sort of punishment or their player got three weeks and a player from... Uh, the USA got three weeks, even though he basically admitted that he was trying to hurt the guy. Um, uh, the other one is Tonga. I think that that penalty try that could have been against Argentina right at the end of the first half was pretty decisive. And, um, you know, they were quite mystified, really, as to why that wasn't given. And and there was that real sense that Tier 2 and Tier 1 teams, that there's there's a difference. Um, and, and, yeah, it's just absolute frustration because what can you do? It's a decisive moment in a game. Yeah, almost classist rather than racist, where the, the tier two teams are, are not given the respect, or there's an assumption that they're they're, they're worse or aren't worthy of the same sort of favours as a tier one team. That you mentioned the Lelaw tackle, um, wasn't a great one, but it was inflamed afterwards by Rob Debney, a former uh, England referee who's now a, a columnist for the Times, um, who said that Lelaw could have killed the Russian player. Now that's that's just totally over the top. It's sort of uh, there's a colonial attitude, I think, from some of these people. It's almost like they think. The players have come in from villages and are sort of wild headhunters and stuff. They're just they're professional rugby players playing in the leagues of the world. You're allowed to hit people and you're allowed to hurt them. Um, the Lilo tackle was was a perfect perfect example of that. It wasn't great, but it wasn't like life threatening as as was suggested. And I just think some of these comments are distasteful and they inflame things. Alice, it's, it comes back to me with some of the conversation that was going on, particularly around the Reese Hodge tackle, where people talked about how uh, the Fijian player had won the collision, and so therefore the dodgy tackle wasn't That's a problem. Right. And what, I'm, what Hodge did was illegal, but because he came off second best, then oh, we should so uh, you, spare a thought for him. Exactly what you cheated badly, yeah. like that. It's not a thing, and, and I get frustrated. You know that there's, you know, this, this always the talk about the physicality of uh, Pacific Island teams. And look, yes, they are strong. They are good confidence ball carriers. But intent is like a very important part of, I think, when we're looking at penalising players. And I feel like that's something that's not necessarily represented at the moment in terms of these laws, particularly the leading with the forearm. Right, like that is a very natural thing to do. If you yeah. look at my own footage, so I'm sure talk, I've done it. Talk me through as a player the Karevi thing. What what's the situation there? Is that a penalisable offence? What happened? The thing is, in terms of rugby laws, absolutely it is, right? But the problem that I have with it is that we've got some real inconsistency around that. So if you had an open hand, no problem. I can put an open hand, straighten your throat, that's not an issue. But if I have a, you know, that slips and it's then my forearm, forearm, then it's a penalty. I think that there's some things there where we need to actually get this right. But also, we need to be consistent. If you've made a change and you've brought something new in, you have to be 
dogging it the whole way along. And the uh, Tyrrell's Premiership, when I was over there uh, in the second year, they were trialling... This is in England, right? Yes, this yeah. is in England. They were trialling the um, below-the-nipple line for tackles, right? Yeah, which they in, have in junior rugby here. Yeah, so they said anything that goes above that... No, zero tolerance. I had a friend of mine who did a round-the-shoulder cha- uh, tackle, pr- like seatbelt tackle, right? Yeah, yeah. Didn't didn't look that bad on the field. She was banned for three weeks. Like, yes, okay, I have my own feelings about that, but it's consistent. So that's okay. And we all know, and so we all go legs instead. So you, cha- you train differently because you've been given the directive, you put it in line. But I think this is the issue that we have, is that the, the leading forum, it's penalised sometimes. Mm. A lot of the times it isn't. So... Is it against the rules or isn't it? Make up your mind and make the call on the ground accordingly. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Like, if the head is sacrosanct, then then the chest and the neck and the shoulders have to be able to play as well. Otherwise, you are going to collect the head. Yeah. So if that's what they want to do, that's cool. But if if it's inconsistent, then people are rightly going to get toey about it. And, of course, players fall into the tackle too, which then, you know, adds another element to it. And it's grey and, you know, I mean, rugby has so many rules now anyway that, Mm. um, you know, you could spend a lot of your time looking up at the big screen deciding whether one thing was going to happen or not. I don't have the answer to it other than it's just that's that's rugby and in what direction do they want to go and someone needs to perhaps you know clarify things or, or, or make a judgment that uh, perhaps it gets uh, looked at afterwards mm. uh, unless it's really obvious. Um, it goes to the judiciary, but then again, you end up like the NRL, where every Tuesday night is full of uh, people going to court, more or less, to decide their future. But, so. but maybe that's preferable to the situation, mm. such as the Karevi one, where the three on-field officials are fined, the television directors having a spot in an atrocity, the commentators are like, "Oh, hell's teeth! What has he done there?" The only person who's seen something is the TMO, who mm. looks at it over and over and over again in his little box, and then goes, "Hey, hey, I've, I've seen something. Can we stop play so I can have a chat to you about what I've seen?" That's someone who's actually not involved with the contest, and all the people who are involved with the contest don't see anything. Going, "Hey, I've spotted some foul play." I mean, imagine if that wasn't a, a knockout match and it was deciding the outcome. People mm. would be furious. This is uh, the best referee that I've had the pleasure of um, being controlled by uh, is Bex Mahoney, who is yeah. um, rapidly rising up the ranks, and the reason why she's so good is that she has an innate understanding of basically you know when is there a penalty that's actually interrupting the flow versus you know this is a technicality but it hasn't actually caused an issue so particularly around breakdown because there's always like a million things you could penalize at any any break uh, at any ruck but most of the time the things that happen it's a slight mistiming it's a like it's lazy from a, a defensive player but they actually haven't done anything so it hasn't disrupted the play so by blowing everything up you're going to make the game more about the referee than the flow of the thing so I think it's about getting that balance right too around letting that game flow so we can enjoy the rugby and that was the situation with those Samoan players against Russia was that uh, the on-field team of three as it was uh, you know decided yellow card in both instances there was obviously a a ball carrier that was falling um, and they felt that was a mitigating factor and that's why the coaching staff was so frustrated they said after the match that you know they they could accept those yellow cards Um, they felt the on-field referees had made the right call in the context of the game but obviously after the fact, then you go to the judiciary and suddenly these guys are sitting on the sideline mm. for three, four weeks. Mm. So, uh, you know, th- th- they trusted the referees to make a wise decision in that situation, but uh, felt that it was in kind of world rugby or the judiciary that kind of went overboard. Vinny, you're, you're off to watch Samoa. Um, what do you think is going to happen in Pool A? There's a lot of interest here. It's one of the undecided pools probably at this point, and, and obviously the All Blacks are about to play the um, the second-place team in that pool. What, what do you, how do you think that pool is going to shake down? 
Yeah, Pool A is probably, um, I guess, the most even pool, isn't it? There's kind of four teams that could all, in theory, beat each other. Uh, and that Ireland loss to um, uh, Japan probably did Samoa no favours because, you know, after Fiji lost to Uruguay, suddenly Samoa were the, the great hope for the Pacific. And that game against Scotland, they were so motivated after those cards and those suspensions that, that they really wanted to put in a big performance. And and really, they were just well beaten on the night there. They they, they barely fired a shot, and Scotland were actually really clinical. Um, you know, the drop goal from 45 odd metres, um, and, and just taking their opportunities uh, when, when when they came there. So uh, Samoa, if they win two games, uh, Japan, uh, a team they haven't beaten I think since 2012, and although they've actually won 11 out of 15 against uh, the, the Brave Blossoms, uh, as, as hard as it may be to believe in in recent years. Um, uh, and then obviously Ireland at the end. Um, you know, the funny thing is Ireland lose that game against Japan, and in theory that makes them more vulnerable. But, but but really, I think most people probably think that it makes it even harder to beat them now, even though they were unconvincing again against Russia. Um, so I think you know it's absolutely a pull where there's definitely three teams that could make it through to the quarters. Um, Samoa still have a chance, but they do have to beat Japan and they do have to beat uh, Ireland as well on on current form. I'd suggest that's probably not going to happen, but. Um, at least it's possible. I mean, at least it's in their own hands. If they win the games, they'll, they'll probably go through. Whereas, you know, for for Fiji, they're preying on a miracle. They're preying on the Wallabies losing to Uruguay. Just quickly, from this scene, we get enthused about Japan beating Ireland, partly because we want Ireland to fall in a heap. Um, but being in Japan, was it a big deal? We we presume it was, but did people get excited about it? What's the level of interest in the tournament, basically? Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people, like sort of a lot of locals that, that that aren't particularly familiar with rugby, but they are interested in this tournament. You know, it's I guess got a bit of a novelty. Um, whereas, um, just in terms of general people day to day, obviously it's not ingrained in local culture here like it is in New Zealand or or a country like Wales, etc. That just absolutely loves their rugby. Um, certainly on match days, uh, people get to the grounds two, three, four hours early, and they seem really enthused. A lot of local Japanese people wearing either Japanese rugby gear or, or, you know, dressing up for, for one of the other teams that do seem to be really enjoying it. Um, uh, obviously, I haven't experienced a, a match with Japan actually playing yet, and, and that'll be the case this weekend. So it might be something completely different again and, and absolutely next level. But um, people do seem to be, you know, really getting into the World Cup and enjoying it. And uh, it always helps, doesn't it, when uh, when the host nation uh, performs. Alice the All Blacks, 63-0 over Canada and in Namibia coming up on Sunday. What have you made of, of what they've done in the weeks in South Africa? I mean, it was kind of as we expected, right? That it was a bit of a training run, a few different combinations out there. But stop-start handling was a real issue in that game. So many balls to ground. It was hard to get any kind of momentum going. And to be honest with you, I watched it on the replay and I made the mistake of knowing what the score was. So when it got to 63 and there was 20 minutes mm. left, I thought, how are they going to stuff this try up? <laughs> when I was watching the replay, which is not a nice way to be watching a game. Um, Richie uh, Mwanga, though, that, he, he has been stepping up and getting more and more confident with each game. I think it, particularly his offload game on against Canada was interesting. So it's it's good to see. I also love Bowden being back at 15. He is a natural 15 rather than a 10. And getting to make the decision about when he inserts himself and brings that turn of pace that's really cool, that's what he did in 2015 it's excited to see him do it again at this World Cup. Now you mentioned those two, they're, they're going to be staples in the starting 15 as the tournament goes along, who are the other guys who might be pushing and putting their hand up who, who maybe weren't penciled in, in the 15 um, previously? I reckon Scotty Barrett has actually probably got that one signed up. Yeah I'm very curious about him, now he's playing lock while Brodie Retallick's out injured but does a place need to be found for him? Does it maybe six? I mean, I think he's too good to be on the bench mm. personally. Maybe he could provide good impact, but 
such a good player, isn't he? And he's showing that every match. Well, I think this is the thing, right? This is where the All Blacks have the edge for the rest of the tournament. It's just how good that bench is. Because you get to have these type of decisions and, and get to have that gear shift to be sitting there. So if you don't have him on, like you say, bring him on at the loose, if having him at six or something like that, you can then look at shifting the gear and putting him on in the last 20 and just absolutely putting the other teams under the pump. Yeah, they tried him to get through a whole game and he's shown that he's able to do that. But then again, I am thinking that perhaps he is going to end up on the bench. Mm. You know, they they stick with those uh, three sort of elusives that they've got there with Savia at six. And he then gives you the option of going to six if he... If he uh, if they yeah, need him to go Kane, there, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's sort of... I, I get the impression that's been set with the, with the All Blacks. Um, but, of course, that, again, will depend if Brody Retallick, when if and when he comes back, he shows what he needs to show. Because, uh, again, I don't think they'll take chances. If he, if he only looks half fit or, you know, he's, there's a bit of concern about him, Barrett would be your man to start. Well, there seems a fair suggestion to be back to play Namibia and then mm-hmm. there's Italy to go after that. So mm-hmm. that's... Surely enough time. Um, in terms of the bench, one guy who's intrigued me a lot is Ben Smith. I haven't. Mm. Ben Smith's a really good player, and everyone, that's not exactly that's stating the obvious. But <laughs> one of the things that made has made him good is work rate, consistency, dependability. You know, there's no error. Is just such a quality player, and that exemplifies itself. I think best over eighty minutes, and I'm not sure that these frenetic 20-minute cameos quite capture Ben Smith at his best. I sort of think he either needs to start, and given the Barrett situation, that's unlikely, or he needs to sit it out entirely. What are your thoughts on that? That is the Kane Williamson of this team. <laughs> he's the steady the chef. Um, I think, to be honest with you, I think he brings something, particularly within knockout phases, around being that calm head coming on. So, yeah, you can have people come on that are bringing that energy off the bench, but I also think if you're under the pump a bit, if things are a bit messy, having someone come on who has that experience and can calm down boys, look where we are, take a breath that type of thing, it actually brings it's using the bench in a different way where we haven't necessarily seen experience It is because Bowden Barrett and Damien McKenzie have played the role that Ben Smith's playing now and they're Mm. quite different players I think we all agree And who's the other person that's going to cover the three quarters Geordie Barrett uh, and he has the excitement factor, but if you're going to bring him on in a tight game with only 15 minutes to go, would you want him or be, uh, Ben Smith? I think at this stage, I'd still go with Ben Smith. I, you know, Jordy Barrett's time will come, perhaps. Rico yeah. Ioane, where is he in the mix? Would he be in your bench, Barry? Uh, not at the moment, no. No, no. I thought I thought he did better against Canada. The thing that I liked from him was that actually he wasn't putting himself over the line, so he was playing to set other players up, which actually isn't his normal style. Uh, he is a classic, typical winger who wants to take all those points points himself. So actually seeing him doing a few offloads, putting other players into space, that was a positive thing. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's back on the form that we would expect to be able to push for that start. Sonny Bill Williams, though, that's another yeah. interesting one. Um, I actually really liked, again, the way he was used against South Africa. The the looming threat of knowing that Sonny Bill can come on and, and and when you're talking about that last 20, just come and be an absolute hammer against a team that is fatiguing because a lot of these uh, teams are It's an underrated tired. factor, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, and then that's, you mentioned balls going down. I mean, fatigue, heat... Um, there are big issues in terms of skill execution, aren't they, in this tournament? They are. And so getting someone like him to come on... And I, look, particularly someone of his stature, like I would rather have him for 20 minutes just absolutely hammering a line. Mighty start. He was very good against Canada. Admittedly, they are not a great team, but 
I mean, he could do, but I look. I think Crotty and uh, Lynnet Brown are, are my go-to because Lynnet Brown, he's one of those real players with class. He seems to have so much time every time he gets that ball in hands, which you know is the mark of someone that's very good. And I'm really liking that combination. But what I do like is that uh, Sonny Bill gives you something completely different. So if that hasn't been firing during the game, you can bring him on and get them to run those hard lines and set some. And, and particularly with that offload game, and and if Bowden is hitting those sharp lines, that's a really nice combination to watch. Just very quickly, without getting too patriotic about it, New Zealand do look like they're the best of the Tier 1 nations so far. Any of the others who've done anything to impress you? I still like Wales. People, you, you know, we were eyes, there was eyes rolled at me they, during the... Australia should have buried them. The, the Wales were totally out on their feet. They had no... No, they were done. Australia kicked the goal when they should have kicked for the line and kept the pressure coming. Yeah, no, but Australia coughed that one up so badly. He got two inter- like two intercept tries there. You know, he, he dropped the second one, but the first one. You know, I just think when it comes to hunger, those boys they want it. They keep pushing tournament teams. That's what you need. Well, we'll carry on that uh, discussion uh, next week, no doubt. Hamish Bidwell, uh, Alice Soper, and uh, Vinnie Wiley in Tokyo. Uh, That's extra time for this week. We'll be back again, as I say, next week with another update from the Rugby World Cup. You can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Muscal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.